have started the recording. We've got some, we'll have some dead space you can edit out, but... Okay, that's cool. I'm feeling under the gun. I, is there any chance I can get another cup of coffee before we get started or something? Uh, no, we really don't have time for that. Okay. Not really. I can give you a to-go cup when on your way to... No, I'm, I'm thirsty now. I'm... Uh, I don't want to deal with dry mouth during the recording. Uh, I can go grab you a cup of water. Uh, why don't you, yeah, if you don't mind that. Yeah. Welcome to the Play Ed Podcast, where we explore cultivating connections through play. Hello and welcome to the Play Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm Chris. And I have got a fun game to do today. I am flipping the script from last time when I had never played the game we were talking about. And now it's Chris's turn to be the guy who knows about but hasn't played it. Yes, there are a large number of games I have not played, contrary to rumor. And this is a really fun game. All of my children assure me and my neighbors from a safe social distance assure me, and I really need a fun game right now. I don't know about you all, but I need fun, and I need simple, and I need something that's very bright and cheerful. And this game is all of those, or so I'm told. So we get the experience of me learning a fun, easy-to-play game during this podcast. All right. And I'm sure you're dying to know what it's called. It is called Sushi Go... By Game Right. And I found out about it from one of our neighbors. We trade back and forth. Before the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> by text. It could have been done last week. <laughs> by text. But it wasn't. It was last year sometime. It was last year. I got a text from her. It's like, hey, did you see that this game and this game were on sale at Amazon? It's like, I have never even heard of these games. So I go to Amazon and I look. It's like, sure enough, they were, I think, close to half off and I went ahead and bought a tin that's one of the things I love I happen to get the collectible tin version so I love games that are well packaged good packaging good artwork the aesthetics matter yes they, they I, really I'm a, do I'm a sucker for them so if you're a game designer listening to this be aware aesthetics matter yes so I went ahead and purchased them and it's one of the games that has become a huge hit with our kids because it is very simple to learn, very easy to play. And they play they play that as almost as frequently as they play chess, mancala. Um there's one or two others. They'll pull out Castle Panic almost as frequently, but this is far this is, easier yeah. than Castle Panic. Um, and ev- everybody will play. I'm just the only one wandering around here who never makes the time to learn. So, to give you a very quick overview of what the game is, I ha- have the wonderful co- ad copy at Game Right's own website. Pass the sushi. In this fast-playing card game, the goal is to grab the best combination of sushi dishes as they whiz by. Score points for making the most maki rolls or for collecting a full set of sashimi. Dip your favorite nigiri in wasabi to triple its value. But be sure to leave room for dessert, or else you'll eat into your score. Gather the most points and consider yourself the sushi master. So, I love that image of whizzing by. I have a friend of mine who, 
after her senior year of college, before she entered the workforce, she went to Japan for a year to teach English. And one of the things she came back explaining to me was that there were these restaurants in Japan, sushi bars, where there were these little conveyor belts with color-coded trays. Each each little dish had a, a rim around the edge colored differently. And so when you checked out, you'd hand them. It's like, oh, it's so many yen for a blue rim, so many yen for a yellow rim, and so on. So you just stack the color plates up and hand them off. Yeah, but you're sitting at a table and going by you are little dishes of sushi. <laughs> and this game almost works the same way. It's what's called a pick and pass game. So you have a deck. Each different kind of sushi scores a different way. So wait, everybody playing the game has to have their own deck? Well, not deck. Everyone's given a hand of cards. Oh, okay. So you buy the tin. Yes. And um, you deal out a hand to each of the players. Correct. Okay. Because, you know, there are card games uh, where every player has to bring their own deck to the game. No, this is one where you have the full deck. Everyone is given a hand of cards. Okay. Each round, you select one card to keep from that and play that card, revealing it simultaneously with the other players. So you have to play the card that you keep, and yes. you pass the rest of the hand to, to the, the next player. To the next player, and you get the 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 balance of the hand from the player to your what right or left or something. It's... I believe you pass the cards clockwise. Okay, is how we did it. So. Each round, you choose one card from your hand. That you're going to play. That you're going to play. And you get essentially three courses. Okay. Where everyone plays down through their hand, passing it round until everyone is out of cards. Gotcha. And then you deal a new hand. And you do this three times, and then you do scoring at the at the very end. Although you score throughout because you have... Once you've finished your course, you go through and you look at what cards you have down and you collect that. You don't score dessert till the very end. Okay. So what I love about how this game works is that, you know, as it noted, each different kind of card scores differently. So, for example, let's say you've got Maki rolls. That's the kind that are you've probably seen even at your grocery store. You've got little roll it's got the seaweed wrapper so like there's some fish and there's the rice around it and then there's a the seaweed wrapper or sometimes they're inside out where you've got the rice on the outside yeah. the seaweed on the inside and then the fish but okay. yeah rice fish and seaweed rolled together and then sliced so that you got the little bite-sized nuggets piece. yes maki score by adding up the points that each number of maki have. So if you've got one maki on your card, that's one point. Two, that's two points. Three, that's three points. And it's simple addition for the maki. Well, not really. What oh. happens is that it's a, that's not actually the points that you get. That's what tells you who has the most number of maki. So if I had five and my neighbor had six, the player with the most is going to get six points, my neighbor. I, who had five, get three points. Now, to help you out, each card has the scoring on it. So as you're collecting them, the cards remind you how they score. Most Maki gets six points. Second most gets three points. I'll be honest, Laura. This is really confusing me already because we're doing this in the abstract. I can't imagine it's any less confusing for our listeners if they aren't familiar with the game. I'll be honest. It's easier to play a sample game going through the th thing. But... Okay. 
The simple, the simplest way to explain... There are different ways of scoring the cards based on what's on the cards. Yes, and each card has a different thing. So with Tempera, you to get any points at all, you have to collect them in sets of two. Okay. A set of two Tempera cards gives you, f- gives you five points. So what's Tempera? Tempera is a uh, dish where you dip things in batter and fry them. You can have Tempera fried vegetables... Or tempura fried shrimp. The image shows you the tempura fried shrimp. You can't get, like, chicken or beef? Nope. There's actually an interesting story behind that. There was a point in time where Christian missionaries, um, specifically Jesuit priests, were in Japan. Now, there is several fasting periods throughout the year, the quator tempora, that they would observe during which they abstained from meat. This dish could be eaten during that because it was just vegetables and fish. So this fried dish based named after the quator tempora becomes tempura. Huh. Yes. So again, the tempura cards, if you collect two, you can get five points. Okay. Those are not compared against what your neighbors have, but you have to collect them in sets of two to get any points at all. But you can only play one card at a time. Correct. So you've got an element of strategy. If you put down a tempera card, you are now having to hope that other tempera cards are in the other hands and going will eventually round. come your way. Exactly. Or your opponent could play a tempera card to prevent you from getting a second one. Exactly. Okay. So there is some strategy in what you choose to pick and play each hand. Each hand. Each. Pass okay. might be the easiest way to think of so, it. So there are multiple passes per round, depending on the number of players. Yes. There are three rounds to the game. Mm-hmm. Okay. And without boring our listeners, who if they choose to buy the game can look through and read the entire thing, each type of thing. sushi... What, read what thing? Uh... Read the little game instruction book. Oh, there's an instruction book. Yes. Okay. It simply explains how each card plays. We'll imagine that. Yes. Um, but the cards helpfully tell you the same thing. So I have a squid nigiri card. It is worth three points. Okay. Very simple. What you want to do with the game is learn how each card scores as you play. And then as you play more and become more familiar with it... You start out using elements of strategy and learning elements of probability. But you can iterate through because the game moves quickly. Very quickly. The illustrations quickly. are charming and hopefully everybody's having a good time even if you're learning mm-hmm. as you go. And importantly, as you mentioned, iterate quickly. There's that element of fail fast. You might lose the first game, but if the game takes only 10 to 15 minutes to play, you can play several rounds in an afternoon. And that has that advantage where you're looking for fun that it doesn't leave you overwhelmed. It is very easy to learn because once you've played, I'd say, two or three games worth, you know what all of the cards can be played with. Now, there is additional complications you can add. We have a different version of the game called Sushi Go Party. This seems to add a board. The board is actually very, very helpful. What the board does is that it gives you a... And this is Sushi Go Party, not regular Sushi Go. Yes, it takes a different, slightly different approach to the game. The board is just helpful for scoring. Okay. It holds 
what are the cards in play? Because it basically decides you've got your roles, your Maki, but it has different kinds of roles that are now available. Regular Maki, but also uh, that kind with the rice on the outside. Okay, inside-out so, roles. Yeah, the inside-out roles. You could have, say, in this game, our roles are going to be inside-out roles, not the regular roles. They, slice, they score slightly differently. So you basically choose a different menu each time you play of what kind of cards are in play. So it gives some variety to the scoring. Okay. The board has numbers around the outside and you get little tiny soy sauce bottles to hop around the board to keep track of scoring. Okay. And it allows for a slightly larger number of players as well, which is important in our family. We have eight people in this household. This game will actually accommodate all of us. Oh, excellent. Whereas with regular Sushi Go, it'll... What, five or six, I think? Two to five players. Two to five. Which isn't bad if the kids want to play, but if we want to accommodate the whole family, we can play Party, which does accommodate a slightly larger number of players. And gives a little bit of variety once you've gotten the gist... Basics of the the pick and pass and strategy and scoring. Mm -hmm. And it really is not that hard to learn. Occasionally, you have observed us playing games where everyone got very confused about how a couple of the cards played. But again, iterate through. After you've done it once or twice, you figure, oh, that's how the chopsticks work. And everyone is at peace again, and they've figured it out, and then you can play the game through, and no one is confused, because you've learned how the pieces work, and then you can actually dig into what the game teaches. Okay. So, age range? Age range? Eight and up is what Game Right suggests. Our five-year-old can play it with some assistance. He's capable of doing the math. So you need And some... he can recognize the, the pictures on the cards, even where he can't read them yet. Correct. Um, our seven-year-old is actually a really good player. Okay. So I would say, while well, eight and up is the suggested age range. The He's thing... the one with the sort of intuitive grasp of strategy yes. from what we were noticing with other games. He's already growing to be a fairly good chess player. Um, what I have observed in playing this is that what you need to have is enough basic arithmetic to be able to understand how to score the cards and thus see what are valuable for what you're doing. So you can make good decisions about what to play and what to pass on. Correct. And you need to be able to read enough to know what's on the card, but it's primarily number values. And once you understand what it is, you could probably teach a preliterate child to recognize the pictures, and make good decisions based just on that. Yeah, but most of your preliterate children really aren't going to be able to grasp the strategic element, which suggests that it would prove frustrating after the first few hands with them. Although one could argue that if you're dealing with a struggling reader, that's not necessarily going to be an obstacle. Okay, if that's fair. If you've got a seven-year-old who's a struggling reader, but has decent grasp of arithmetic, that's not going to be as big an obstacle as you would think it would be. Okay. That, that, that sounds fair. It's definitely more of a, of a maturity question than necessarily a skill question. In terms of what it actually teaches, though, what you've, you've hinged on it, probability and strategy are definitely the huge elements playing in this game. Because as you know, every time you get at that hand and you look, you have to say, okay, well, I should make sure that I grab that pudding, our dessert, early. 
because I need to build those up for a chance of scoring at the end of the game. Okay. But that means that you have foregone all of the other high scoring cards that you can get for that round and hope that the hand that comes next is then going to start giving you things that you can build up through the course of the game. So you have to make optimal choices in a situation where you are guaranteed to have inadequate information to know what the optimal choice is. Exactly. So you're 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 making a guess, sometimes educated, sometimes uneducated. You know what you're handing on to the person down the line, but you don't know what they're about to play, and you don't know what's coming your way from someone else's hand, especially once you get to three, four, five, or in the case of Sushi Go Party, six, seven, eight players. Correct. Okay. So, but being able to make decisions in uncertainty, formulate a a strategic approach, and then adapt, adjust, and overcome as more information becomes available. And strategy is definitely an element because each time that you choose a card, you're saying, okay, this is a kind of card where I need to collect three to win points, or I'm going to collect these, they're low point value, but if a wasabi comes by, wasabi is horseradish and is typically eaten with sushi, that will change the point value of my cards and increase it. Okay. So... You're making strategic choices. You're looking at what's in your cards and saying, what's the best way to collect these? And playing party, where you've got a much wider range of possibilities, um, it's fascinating to watch as a new card comes through. It's like, oh, oh, that's how this works. And then we play another round with that selection, that menu. Mm -hmm. And you watch as the kids start to pick up on, ooh, this is a good one to start collecting because if I do this and everything comes together, I can have 20 points this round just from this set of cards. Gotcha. And that's an interesting thing. But I think the Adapt, Adjust, and Overcome is also a really important element, learning that sometimes the strategy you pick is not working. Right. And then you have to look and say, what do I have on hand that I can make the best out of as I'm closing this round. And I've seen that in our kids as they're playing, that when they first learn, they they sit down and they study the cards when they're not playing in order to figure out what's, the, what's sort of the perfect hand, what's the optimal, how do you maximize the score, what cards do you need? Then they learn they can't just, having imagined that and planned it out by studying the game, they can't make that happen because they don't have control over what's coming their way. Mm-hmm. They have to learn how to try and get there. Yeah. Um. This, I, I had that experience when I was learning to play poker mm-hmm. as a teenager. That, you know, okay, so a straight and a flush and a royal flush, those are arguably your best hands. But statistically, the probability of getting any of those in any given honest hand of poker with only one deck is pretty slim. Once you're dealing with a shoe with multiple decks, like you would play um, with, you know, anybody at a casino or whatever, you, the, the the odds become orders of magnitude lower. Yeah. And even if you're not working the probabilities in your head, and to be clear, I don't, but I've worked with people who can and do, and it's really impressive, you do have a kind of, you develop an intuitive feel for what you can get out of the cards. And, you know, whether you're playing... Um, you know, stud poker or draw poker or any of its variations, 
it sounds a lot like Sushi Go in that you don't really have control over what's coming your way. You have to play the hand you're dealt. You have to play the hand you're dealt and figure out how to get to a winning hand from what you have available. And that honestly sounds rather frighteningly like most of my working life over the last 20 odd years. Well, I think in terms of, you know, life lessons that you can start teaching early, learning to accept that a perfect hand may exist, but that's not the hand you're dealt. Be grateful if you get one for that moment, but you can't go through life expecting it. And if you get fixated on the one good way to do something, you're going to inevitably be disappointed because the odds that that one good way happens are very slim. Whereas if you can take what you're handed and say, how can I make the best of what I have right here? And learn to constantly assess and say, how do I work with what I have in the moment? Mm -hmm. That is a trait that is going to go well beyond playing Sushi Go successfully and start developing a habit of mind of rather than fixating on the perfect, focus on the what do we have here that's good. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I can definitely see how Sushi Go could teach that. I've watched it happen at and, our dinner table as the kids have played. And fundamentally, that's an aspect of strategy that's, yeah. that's terribly important, especially since, as you we've observed with other games, my personal favorite example is always Settlers of Catan and how new players always focus on Longest Road. Or Largest Army. Yes, one of the two. And, and, and it'll usually be only one. Right. Because even if they figure out that you can get a certain number of points from either of those cards... They're going to focus their attention on exactly one strategy. Yes. And that's normal. That is so normal. It's like in chess when every kid discovers castling and then they castle whether it makes sense or not. Yes. And so what you have with Sushi Go is that you learn rapidly that you can't get fixated on, I'm going to collect nigiri and get wasabi. There's no guarantee that any wasabi ended up in that deck in the first place. Right. So, oh, that's actually something else worth pointing out. So the 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 uh it looks like there's two decks. So maybe 100 something cards in the 108 the, cards. 108 cards in the main deck, but you're only deal you shuffle and then you deal out a subset of those for each hand. Correct. So depending on the shuffle, all of the wasabi could end up in the the deck not being distributed into hands the players have. So an entire round, you may have no wasabi turn up in anyone's cards. So even the base game has some high variability. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's now that is a really cool feature. Yes. Because you are dealing from a large deck but not getting the entirety of the deck. So even within the realms of probability, you don't know what's in your hands. What's in the hands all around you. You've got ideas of what might be, what's likely, but that's not a certainty. And and that does make it a lot more like, say, poker than blackjack in terms of being able to to keep track of cards. If you... If you have a, a child or you yourself are so gifted as to be able to count cards, um, that 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 adding that element of uncertainty, I can see, really opens it up even for people who can do that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really cool. Yeah. And actually, in the Sushi Go party game, as I've mentioned, desserts get counted at the end. Mm-hmm. One of the things that they do is that the number of desserts in the deck is altered based on the number of players. Oh. Um, so if you have a smaller number of players, you have a smaller number of desserts to go around. 
the Avalon Hill civilization did that. It made it took away certain numbers of some of the technologies. Importantly, however, it also shuffles those in at certain times. Oh, okay. So there are only so many in play at a given time, even of the limited suboptimal number. Exactly. Oh, very cool. Yes. Very and, cool. And so this is a really well thought out game. It is a very well thought out game. It have, offers a lot of opportunity. And the other thing that strikes me is I'm fond of sushi. We've been going to, to sushi bars for 20 years now. Um, yeah, I, I, I went to my first sushi. It was a, it was a, it was a restaurant like Benihana, but it wasn't a Benihana branded restaurant. Um, trying to remember what it was called I mean, in, there were two of them in suburban new orleans when i was growing up and i remember i was i guess 11 or 12 when i asked my grandmother to take me one my grandfather didn't want anything to do with it um but we went and we ate at the hibachi and all but and it was another year or two before i started trying to teach myself japanese <laughs> um yeah i was that weird kid in the late 80s uh well let me guess i guess I was, yeah i guess i was about 12 or 13 i started trying to teach myself japanese and um, we, I talked my grandmother into sitting at the sushi bar rather than the hibachi one one evening. Um, and um, I remember talking with the sushi chef and I knew enough Japanese geography that when I asked him where he was from and he told me um, that he was from, uh, you know, the Tokyo area, um... I, I said, oh, this area, and he said, no, 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 this other area. I was like, oh, that's on the, the, the west side. He's like, yeah, are you familiar with it? I said, I've only seen it on maps, but, you know, I'm really fascinated in everything Japanese. He was like, oh, well, I hope you enjoy yourself, and, and it was a really cool exchange, and, you know, I'd go to sushi bars. I took dates on sushi bars when I was dating in high school, and, and um you and I have been eating sushi together for for just going to Japanese restaurants in general for the entire time we've been together. Mm -hmm. That's over a quarter century now. Yes, our kids our kids ask how often we can go to the sushi bar, which unfortunately right now in the midst of the zombie apocalypse, um, we can't. Um, but I'm looking forward to taking everybody out as as things open back up. Oh, yes. So in the meantime, we're playing a lot of Sushi Go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And, it's, and I need to learn this game so I can join in the family. Yes, you can. And that's one of the other things that, you know, it's light and fun. But if you are if you happen to be studying Japan and your geography or social studies, it's a fun game to toss in there as a little bit of, you know, Japanese culture. It's got the correct uh, names for all of the different pieces. Um, and it's a little bit of fun that you can toss into that. But I think and they're from a, so cute. They are I'm adorable. The, the, the illustrations are just if if you find Japanese art, especially the really cutesy stuff, cloying, you may find this visually overwhelming because it is a tidal wave, a typhoon, if you will, of really really cute looking foods. Yes, which. If you already like that that element of Japanese culture and advertising, it's delightful. If you don't, it might be a little wearing, but really, it's worth it. Uh, I've certainly seen the kids 
playing this and having a lot of fun. I need to learn. Mm-hmm. Were you going to teach me during this episode, or were we going to set that off and not bore our, our listeners with We're not going to bore torment. our listeners with that. <laughs> if, if you want to, I can set my camera phone up on a tripod, and maybe I can post it to the uh, YouTube channel. That might be worth trying. I don't know. Me Watching me learn a new game, would it, is, uh, I, it might entertain somebody. It might. <laughs> we... We'll do it at experimentum. All right. Sounds so, good. We did talk a little bit about age range. Yeah. So as far as keeping it in the fun zone. Yeah. How would you... How, how, I know I have heard some arguments come around, usually because somebody didn't read the rules booklet carefully, and so they they kind of failed to grasp some element of how a particular card worked. But I haven't heard a lot of unfun... So, uh, what, what, given your experience and observations, um, what would you recommend other people keep an eye out for, and how sh- should they adapt the game to keep it in the fun zone? <coughs> Good question. What I would say is, the age range of eight and up is possibly... A little, it's it's a good, definite starting point. You could probably start earlier if you've got a child who's already showing some signs of good strategic thought. So long as they've got strong basic arithmetic and um, are reasonably okay at reading, they're probably going to be fine. So a basic arithmetic, we're talking about addition. Is there subtraction? Is there multiplication? Is there division? Or is it really just simple addition? There is some multiplication. As I said, wasabi is a multiplier when combined with nigiri. Okay, so basic addition, some simple multiplication, single number type stuff. Yes. So what's that? Is, is that covered in second or third grade curricula for it is, a lot of people? It is definitely in second grade math. I okay. think you could have a seven and up and be fine. Okay. Uh, for a lot of for a lot of students, especially since those ranges are averages. And, right. And that right. means you're always going to have the precocious kids who would have been fine at six years old, and you're going to have some nine years olds who are struggling because of some learning difficulties. Or just because they, they don't understand the, the what's going on. So more importantly, I would say for Fun Zone, is that you do want to make sure that you understand how the cards work. I'd say that the chopsticks are probably the most difficult to understand. Yeah, I seem to recall an argument over chopsticks. That was exactly the argument you heard. And oddly enough, it was the 16-year-old who got frustrated and left the table. So... The usual things of emotional regulation, are you well fed? Have you slept well? If you have children who are cranky because they're hungry or because they've been trapped indoors way too long, this might be a better time to get everyone out for a nice family walk rather than a nice family card game. Right. But provided you have people who are not overtired or hungry... It's not a bad way to deal with cabin fever on a rainy day. Just make sure that you can help understand enough of how the cards work. Take some time, watch an online tutorial. The chopsticks, as I said, that's the one you want to get down because chopsticks allow you to grab other cards. Oh, I can see why that's a substitution card. And if you play it wrong, people end up with uneven sizes of hands. Oh, so okay. understand how that card works. Otherwise, it throws off a whole bunch of the game. 
It sounds like an advanced complication anyway that you wouldn't necessarily want to include when you're trying to learn the basics you of the could, game. You could, in theory, simply eliminate them from the deck and choose to say, we'll make sure we understand how all the other cards work Since that would before be, we add that it, in. It can take cards from other players that they've already played? Honestly, I don't remember. Okay. Because if it can do that, then that would sound very disruptive to someone's strategy, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but can really be a source of tension um, in if you're learning the base game. Actually, let me just take a second, because I can look up exactly how they work. Yeah, the, the, the rules pamphlet is like three inches by three and a half oh, inches, yeah. and like six or eight pages. Short it's, and simple. The chopsticks don't have any score value. Okay. Using them, you may take two sushi cards on a future turn, is what they allow you to do. Oh, okay. So you don't get to take what somebody else has already played. Right. But you And can you don't take... get to do it in that round. If you put down chopsticks now, you, you can, can pin... use them later to get two cards out of the hand that's just been passed to you. And the chopsticks go back in to keep the card... Card out. tally even so that it doesn't end up uneven. That's really cool. Yes. But it is a bet because you don't know when What's... you're going to have a hand where it's worth taking two. I I was just thinking, this sounds like a really, really good game to teach the basics of trading. Yes. Like, like whether you're talking securities trading or commodities trading or, or um, you know, anything of that sort, uh, you, you've, you've got to be able to anticipate what's coming and guess, but you have to lay your bets in a situation of imperfect information. And sometimes you will win, sometimes you will lose. Yes, if you play too conservatively, you'll do okay, but you're never going to have the big wins that help you gain that huge point value. Right, right. But I have, wa and I have watched, I've watched the seven-year-old win with some very impressive strategic thinking. Okay. He figured out a card combination that was working for him, and he played it, and the cards came out right, and it was very successful. Excellent, excellent. And that's one of the things is that if you play several games in an afternoon, it plays very fast. If you play several games in an afternoon, you can have that iterative process of learning. And so long as everyone's having a fun time, you can generally end up where you don't have the same person winning every single time. Right. So you don't have the tears that come with, oh, so-and-so always wins. Which, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of other games we need to play um uh iteratively there's a couple we've got that i want to get back to playing again because we never quite got through um even getting the basics under everybody's belts yes because on topic we did finally get our copy of pandemic but i think we're going to review that one for everyone once we're once the captain turns off the fastened seatbelt sign and invites us to move freely about the cabin exactly all right excellent maybe we should watch airplane tonight i don't think that's a good idea <laughs> funny movie not necessarily for the kids no so all right well we hope you've enjoyed our discussion of sushi go i am now looking forward to my family teaching me how to play this game probably this evening um and we hope that you are inspired to go out and add some more cute japanese uh themed culture to your life um and that 
you can do so in the midst of the zombie apocalypse and that, you know, soon And most we'll... importantly, have a game easy enough that your kids can occupy themselves while you're stuck on a Zoom call. Well, yeah, there is that. There is that. So one of, yes, so many stories about that over the last couple of weeks. But... Indeed. Well, with that, we will sign off. If you want to contact us, you can email us at playedpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at PlayEdPod. We have a Facebook page you can follow, PlayEdPodcast. And I mentioned the YouTube channel. Yes, there is a PlayEdPodcast YouTube channel. I will put in the show notes where you can find that. It has an irregular number of our podcasts uh, where you can listen to us on YouTube. And if I go ahead and decide to record us teaching Chris how to play the game, I will post that there too. Sounds good. All right, y'all take care. We'll talk soon. Bye. That is probably the case. All right, Mike's hot. Mike is hot and it seems to be picking up my voice just fine. Yep. And it's not picking up a lot of the ambient noise back there. I was watching the graph um, as it recorded. Yeah. Yes. All right. Look what I need. Hello and welcome to the Play Ed Cat Pot. <laughs>